Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. It is just Melissa and I today, and we are actually in our temporarily new studio. Um, we're in our new building, actually, which is so exciting. We are very excited about it. Yeah. We finally have a home all of our own. <laughs> we do, and it is incredible. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. We're a little obsessed. <laughs> yes. The newness has not worn off. No, we just got everything settled in and have people seeing clients here, uh-huh. and we're just seeing our fellow clinicians in the same area. So we're in a temporary office recording while the actual recording studio is being set up and mm-hmm. um, renovated some. But um, we're just excited to be here and have you guys listening in while we are here, and hopefully mm-hmm. the quality of everything will continue to improve and you'll enjoy some of the benefits of this. Yeah. But, yeah. Kind of speaking of that, with this new building that we have, um, one of the most exciting spaces that we're going to have is a training room. And a training space, all our own. Yes. Yes. Where we can have it set up just as we want and um, start hosting live trainings mm-hmm. here in Springfield. Mm-hmm. So we have an upcoming EMDR training, September 16th through the 20th. Mm-hmm. And we actually have... <laughs> The majority of the spots have already been filled. But we're working to see if maybe we could get more spots available. Yes. And uh, hopefully we can so we could take up to 30 people rather than just 20. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you guys have any colleagues, any uh, anybody that you know that is looking to get trained or if you yourself want to get retrained and have a refresher, if it's been a while, we would absolutely love to have you mm-hmm. and to host you in our new beautiful space in yeah. downtown Springfield. And we have a ton of good restaurants. I can highly recommend the Indian place just around the corner. It's one of our favorite spots. <laughs> we just ate there for lunch today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you guys want more information, you can go to our website mm-hmm. at beyondhealingcenter.com. Yeah. Or you can also look at our uh, partner uh, company, which is the EMDR Training Center based out of St. Louis. And their website is... Do you know what their website is? I know what the learning one is. It's learning. I know. I actually think <laughs> it's uh, emdrtrainingcenter.com. Okay. If you guys Google EMDR Training Center St. Louis, you will absolutely yes. find it. Yep. And that's where uh, our trainings get posted for registration. We do registration through them. So, um, yeah, if you're looking to get trained, come join us in Springfield in September. We'd yeah. love to have you. Yeah, you can also shoot us an email with any questions on mm-hmm. that at training at beyondhealingcenter.com. Yeah. So, Shoot us an email. We'll give you more information and hope to see you or some people that you know here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I am really excited about our topic for today because it's kind of my thing. So, I mean, I know I have lots of things. I feel like I say that about a lot of of stuff, but this one really is. So one thing that I'm not sure that I've actually shared on the podcast is that I have some big news upcoming personally. Uh, No, I'm not pregnant. I was going to say that. Everybody's (laughs) going to think that. I'm not. But what I am about to do is almost as significant as having a baby, which is start a PhD program. So that is actually starting next month. Uh, and I'm only halfway panicking. If any of you are thinking, wow, Melissa might be crazy. <laughs> she is. <laughs> it's true. I have no rebuttal for that. <laughs> no. How am I going to do it all? Great question. Uh, a lot of very supportive humans in my life. That's yes. how. 
um, and only having one child and it's staying that way for the foreseeable future. And it's going to be such a beautiful addition to the work that we're doing of just diving. And I don't know if you even said the name of the program. No, no. Yeah. So I am beginning my PhD program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And it is a PhD, a research-based PhD in uh, transpersonal psychology with an emphasis in somatic psychology. Um, And if that sounds intimidating, I agree. I feel (laughs) very, very excited and a little overwhelmed by the prospect. But the reason why I chose that program is uh, both personally and then as an organization at Beyond Healing, um, we have a high emphasis on somatic therapies and somatic work, um, both with EMDR and outside of EMDR, because while we use EMDR with, you know, 75% of our clientele, there's certainly situations where it's not possible, it's not appropriate, et cetera. And so we spend a lot of time looking at um, other ways of assisting nervous systems and healing from trauma. And, you know, the gold mine is absolutely in somatic therapies because of the mind-body link mm-hmm. when it comes to trauma and how important and significant that is. So, yeah, this topic is near and dear to both, you know, my interest, but also um, our practice here at Beyond Healing of really teaching people how to be embodied. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I kind of wanted to start with today is just sort of clarifying some terminology because I feel like these are words that are kind of uh, buzzwords right now. Right, right. And they're kind of flung around a lot. Um, So rather than giving like a super technical definition of what these things mean, I'm going to give what I have found to be kind of the most practical approachable, useful definitions Mm -hmm. um, of some of these concepts. So first one being a practical, useful uh, (laughs) definition of somatic psychology. Somatic psychology are, are, is, are, they are the therapies that look specifically at integration of mind and body. Okay, so it's bridging the gap between our intellectual cognitive experience as a human being and the uh, somatic, sensory, body-based experience as a human being. So humans are incredibly unique because of our gigantic prefrontal cortex. That's what sets us apart from every other mammal out there, other than maybe dolphins. They're giving us a run for our money, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Talk about them a lot, too. Um, Point is, is that it is a, a unique thing in the animal kingdom to have such a intellectual and mental experience mm-hmm. as a human being, but then also still have a fully functional mammal body that has all of the uh, sensory experiences, all of the um, nervous system reactions that come with being a mammal. And so embodiment and somatic therapies are all about helping the two understand each other better and coming into better communication and relationship between mind and body. Because at least in Western culture, we have a bit of a habit of identifying ourselves as our mental self, Mm -hmm. right? I am my thoughts. I think, therefore I am. (laughs) Like literally, you guys, that's like the premise of philosophy in, in Western culture. I think, therefore I am. That was Descartes, and he was wrong, by the way. Um, we can talk about that later. <laughs> well, he just, he missed it on a couple of things, big important things. Um, but the, the point is, is that that is not actually our identity. That is not who we are as a human being. A human being is the sum total of all of the experiences of what it means to be a human, and that very much includes our sensory body-based physical 
experiences, the biological functioning of the body that we walk around in has a tremendous impact on every aspect of our experience, including relationships, including mental health, including spirituality. It is involved in literally everything we do. And as a culture, we have made some missteps in getting a little too far away mm-hmm. um, from understanding the importance of it and understanding how to work with it. Right. Yeah. What does it mean yeah. to actually feel your body and work with it? So I'm going on a long rambly thing because I love talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And as you're talking, I just, I think I've used this metaphor in here before, but I just continue to picture like an iceberg. Yeah. And that I think peace is just the top. It's That's what right. um, our culture is focused on and what mm-hmm. we see. It's what gets outwardly communicated mm-hmm. um, very directly. But the, really the largest mass is under the water. Right. Um, and that is in our body and that's where it's housed and that's where um, so much energy comes from Mm -hmm. and and kind of formulates what our thoughts and what language we use and and how we um, express things verbally but it's within our bodies that it has um, most of the material and content is really stored and the you know I think therefore I think I am is more (laughs) what the reality (laughs) is it's like we yeah. can try to express what we think, but all of that is story. Mm-hmm. The body is what's holding the real truth. Right. Yeah. The, real the truth of the, the state yeah. of, you know, what and who and how we actually are in that present moment. Um, our cognitive self can lie to us quite easily. And does all And does the all time. the time for, for a myriad of reasons and not all negative. Sometimes yeah. a good, you know, self-manipulation is quite beneficial. Necessary. But, um, you know, the struggle is in therapy is that if we're only working cognitively or predominantly cognitively, then we only have access to half of this human being. Mm-hmm. And that means at best we're going to get half healing. Yeah. And so somatic therapies are not looking at how do I just work with the body. Now, there are some uh, somatic activities and somatic therapies where it is very much that way, where um there's very little emphasis put on the integration into the intellectual awareness into the cognitive self. And it's really just allowing the body to have um, time to process whatever it's feeling. And there's no real emphasis or focus on uh, understanding mm-hmm. what that meant and integrating that experience into my conscious awareness. Um, but what research says and what we found to definitely be true is that the real magic happens in the integration when both are involved in the process that not only are we um, being mindful and aware of it uh, cognitively but we're allowing full expression of it physically but then turning right back around and taking that somatic experience and integrating it into our awareness our cognitive awareness Um, and that you know that process is something that you guys have heard us talk a lot about of story follow state follow story follow state and around and around we go And one of the things that we want to talk about today is how the process of EMDR can Mm -hmm. really line up with that process and support it. Or go against the grain and not at all, right? (laughs) And and really um, supporting you guys as clinicians and being able to say, how do I take this beautiful protocol Mm -hmm. and and the way this is all lined out, but really embed the somatic aspects of that and not allow it to head more in a like just cognitive direction. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And often what we find, especially in EMDR, is that uh, the client's enculturation and their habits and their own trauma all conspire together to keep them in their left brain and keep them very cognitive and to avoid the sensations of their body, 
which makes total sense because that's where all the distress lives, mm-hmm. right? When I stay in my left brain and I stay cognitive, worst case scenario up there is that I worry, right? Worry is a cognitive experience. The physical manifestation of worry is anxiety and fear, which feels worse than worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as we you know, increase in our own traumatization, the habit of disconnecting from our own felt experience is natural. It happens for almost everybody that goes through significant trauma. It's a big part of why dissociation is such yeah. a feature uh, post-trauma is because we're trying to get away from the distressing affect that is housed in our body. The price that we pay for that is that we get away from all affect that is housed in our body. And so this is why you see people post-trauma that not only are they you know, numbed out to um, distress and anxiety, et cetera, but they also can't feel pleasure mm-hmm. and they can't feel joy and they can't feel intimacy and connection and all of the good stuff as well. And so when we're thinking about reincorporating the body into our awareness, um, that is something that I find really helpful is remembering that we can start with the good feelings. Mm-hmm. We can start with the, the positives and the warms and the fuzzies yeah. <laughs> because that's going to be a lot more approachable and motivating to them than starting with the distress. Now we need to do that in order to clear it from their system, but usually approaching it with the positive and letting them learn in the positive sensation first um, feels a lot safer to them. But even then, inviting them to feel positive sensation in their body, if, if that has been um, disconnected for a long yeah. time, that's going to be activating to them too. could feel so unsafe. So unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll hear clients say things like, it doesn't feel safe to feel safe right? Mm -hmm. Or I can feel how much you care about me and that feels scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, the the sensation of being fully loved by another human being is overwhelming and activating because it brings up all of the things in their past of why they weren't and why that's a a new experience for them. Um, So we got to remember that anytime we're introducing uh, methods and techniques and therapies such as EMDR and others, that bring clients back into connection with their body when they start feeling they're going to start feeling Mm -hmm. and we need to prepare them for the discomfort that may come with that even with the positive sensations right it's Mm -hmm. not always just a let me move into connection and integration with my body and it then it's good from there (laughs) most oftentimes it's Mm -hmm. and then it's really distressing right because what's housed in my body that Mm -hmm. i have disconnected from is tremendously uncomfortable right. otherwise I would be okay to yeah. be connected with it and so that awareness sharing that with our clients but also then really pacing and being mm-hmm. gentle in mm-hmm. that integration process and in. as you yeah. go back into your body let's be really cautious and also give yourself tremendous permission to say okay now I'm done mm-hmm. and I'm going that's to enough for now leave it again <laughs> yes. yes and that yeah. that's acceptable and Absolutely. in fact very necessary yeah. Post-session, you may have to go back into parenting your kids or show back up at work or drive your car. Mm -hmm. And so it may be necessary to say, hey, Mm -hmm. I did that for that period of time and I'm building my tolerance in Mm -hmm. the connection of my body, but I'm still going to rely on my strategies that have really gotten me far in this Mm -hmm. world and have protected me and go back to dissociating from it or back from that disconnection. And I think we can work with that therapeutically with people by simply making that need explicit for a while that in the initial phases of healing we continue to use our you know less adaptive strategies um, because they're there for a reason and we need them and so 
we don't want our clients to think that they have to just let all of those go and quit mm-hmm. using those, you know, less than positive coping skills because, hey, they were working and they got you this far. So don't don't, don't get rid of them just yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't let them go until we have something to replace it that's really going to be uh, just as, if not more, supportive. Another factor that I think we have to remember when we're kind of investigating how to introduce clients into feeling more in their body is asking the question both of ourselves and sometimes if it's appropriate to the client as well what did it mean to you the last time you felt this sensation Mm -hmm. uh well easy example i was talking to somebody recently and they were you know feeling some activation about feeling that i cared about them and you know kind of coming into terms with well geez this person actually you know is invested in me and I'm feeling a sensation of love from this person, et cetera. And the last time they felt it, it was immediately followed with a rejection and abandonment. Mm-hmm. Right. So we got to remember that there's always more to the story than just, Oh, this, this is a good feeling. So it should be good. Yeah. Um, that those positive sensations can be linked to other things in their history. And so we want to be curious around what has this emotion, sensation, feeling in their body, um, meant to them in the past mm-hmm. because all of that is going to be present in this moment whenever it's activated in their body now and so we want to be talking with our clients about that um, so that they understand why they're reacting the way that they are yeah. because a lot of clients will feel uh, dumb they'll feel foolish for responding negatively to a positive thing they don't understand why they're doing that and they feel silly about it mm-hmm. Um, and even shameful sometimes. And so de-shaming that and helping them understand why that's a perfectly natural reaction. Um, and we do that through that exploration of, you know, well, what has this meant for you in the past? Yeah. Or they feel shameful to have had the good feeling in the first place. Right. Maybe I don't deserve it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm inappropriate for desiring that kind of connection mm-hmm. with my therapist. Yes. Or to yes. feel that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so um, one of the, you know, we kind of started by talking about why does the body matter which for me seems like a ridiculous question but it's an important (laughs) one the short answer is it really really does um so the next thing that we kind of want to talk about is the way that this shows up specifically with emdr and particularly with the basic protocol Um, and one of the things that jen and i were talking about before we recorded was uh the the placement of the body scan Mm -hmm. you know why why do we do the body scan in the way that we do and in the spot that we do And the truth is, I have no idea why Francine decided to put it where she did. I don't know if that was a random decision. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I don't know what the the thought process was. And, you know, she discusses it a little bit in her book about uh, the importance of it, but not necessarily the decision of the placement of it. Um, But just personally, the reason why I like it where it is in the process is because the the basic protocol assessment that we go through with our clients the series of questions happens in the order that most clients are used to accessing material Mm -hmm. so we start with just the image right what do you see in your head Okay, that that is very approachable for most people. Now, some people struggle finding an image, and so we can substitute if we need to. Um, but that's pretty approachable for most. And then we go cognitive, right? We ask about um, that positive cognition or negative cognition and positive cognition, and they're familiar with thinking about their thinking. Yeah, okay? that feels approachable to most people, even if they struggle with it. Um, they're used to accessing material that way, and then we go to the emotion. And after all of that, we go to the body. 
as you're saying that, I, I was in my head just kind of calculating right, left, right, left, mm-hmm. like the order in which that's done. And again, Mel, as you said, I don't know what intention was behind this, mm-hmm. but it's always fun to try to make sense of right. after. But we start identifying a target, which is a left, mm-hmm. right? Like the identification of this yeah. is the event. Yeah, the selection of it. Then we move into the right with the image. Mm-hmm back over to the left with the cognition, back to the right with the emotion, and then yeah. we go beyond the, the frontal lobe down into the body. Yes, then we drop down. Mm-hmm. So that, like that, neurobiologically feels so significant does, to me. yeah. And if you guys are wondering what the heck we're talking about, <laughs> part of, part of uh, the way that we um, process it, the... Oh, I'm trying to think about how much to get into right now. So I'm going to edit a lot, but I basically like have an episode on. Right yeah, we left might. Un- yeah. Processing. So, so, uh, go and look at that episode of the right and left processing. But something that we haven't talked a lot about is what is below the, the mm, right and mm-hmm. left. Um, and the short answer is below the neocortex, below the mammalian brain, we have a brain stem that is directly connected into our central nervous system and the rest of our body and out to our peripheral nervous system. And in that brainstem is the most basic affective circuitry um, that all mammals possess. In mm-hmm. fact, even even lower than mammals, that all organisms that we would recognize as some kind of creature, we all have them. And when we're talking about body sensation, that is the, the language of our brainstem. So... The language of the left hemisphere is words, right? Bracca's area and all of that. It communicates through language. The language of the right hemisphere is symbolism. Okay, so this is where we get into uh, color, mm-hmm. music, uh, literal symbolism. So like a tree can evoke a sensation of rootedness and strength and power, right? So that is, that is right brain material. But the actual physical sensation, so things like I feel tightness in my stomach. I feel trembly in my lungs, right? I feel constriction in my throat. I feel fluttery in my heart. That is the language of the brainstem yeah. and the body. That is the the deepest communication as far as our nervous system is concerned. And therefore, it is so, so relevant to trauma processing because if we want to get at the deepest parts of how that trauma impacted us as an organism, that's where we have to mm-hmm. go. And so for that reason, I like where the body scan is because that means that we activate it in the left hemisphere, we activate it in the right, it's activated in, you know, the prefrontal cortex, the mammalian brain, all of that is lit up and then we boom, drop down into the brainstem and into the body. And, and from that, yes, that, from that point, that we, yes. And so it's the, the last thing that they have been focused on before we apply that bilateral. And that bilateral being right, left, mm-hmm. hemisphere activating, mm-hmm. being yes. that stimulation, yeah. even the assessment being a right, left hemisphere activation. activation. It, it is. is bilateral. Yes. yes. If we think about accessing yeah. that content. Back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. That's really cool. I think we're really processing this. Like, I know. Right yeah. Now. Right here. <laughs> like, I haven't, wow. haven't thought about this before. It's beautiful. <laughs> it <laughs> Francine, is. Francine, if you meant to do that, you're mind was beautiful i already know that it was but (laughs) truly brilliant yeah astounding to me Mm -hmm. how you did what you did i know she's not here but i'll talk to her anyway yeah she's hearing us (laughs) somehow some way um 
and so I think, you know, that experience for the client of dropping down into their body and then immediately moving into reprocessing allows us to be accessing the deepest places that that material is stored and held. Um, but what happens after that is very unique to the client. And some clients are very comfortable being aware of what's happening in their body, working somatically. You know, we tell them uh, that they can report sensations that they're having in their body and they, you know, grab onto that really well. And for some clients, the majority of what they process is body-based. They're telling us about all the different sensations they're having in their body. And that's beautiful and it's wonderful and works really well. But then we have other clients that do not so much. <laughs> that even though we drop them down into their brainstem and try to get them, uh, yeah, rooted in that sensory experience before we apply the bilateral, the minute that they're allowed to kind of go wherever they want to and they pull out of that mm-hmm. and go back cognitive because that's where they're comfortable. Safe. Yeah, that's what feels familiar to them. And that's all right as well. But I think one of the things that we want to talk about today is EMDR as somatic therapy. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between just doing the basic protocol versus seeing the EMDR protocol as a somatic therapy that accomplishes the goal of somatic therapy, which is that integration between mind and body. And EMDR has the focus of resolving and releasing trauma. And so when you combine those two goals, what we have is EMDR somatic therapy. The goal is to release trauma from the mind and the body and end in an integrated place where both my mind and body are in agreement about what that experience meant to me and the fact that I'm safe now today Mm -hmm. and can move forward with my life in a new way. So EMDR as a somatic therapy focuses and highlights that uh, that release from all elements, a holistic release of the trauma, and then a holistic integration of a new awareness of what that trauma meant to be and what my present uh, life is now. Yeah, I think starting with looking at EMDR as a cognitive therapy, we get a lot of people writing in and kind of asking this question, and I think we've spoken to it before, but EMDR is oftentimes misinterpreted or even utilized as more of a cognitive therapy that focuses on the thought and the inner weeds. What what cognition are you targeting? Right. Ah. Right. And so then we are, we're processing, Mm -hmm. but it's, we're, the report from the client is what thoughts are coming up Mm -hmm. and the interventions of the inner weaves of the therapist are, how do I get them to think in a certain direction? Yeah. How do we change that thinking? Yes. Mm -hmm. In hopes that the change of thought will change the storage of the body, which is a top down approach. Like how does that, um, if we can get them to think with a more adaptive thought, then we'll check in on the body mm-hmm. and see if the body could catch up with that. Right. So it's it's creating shifts and changes through um, a cognitive place first and mm-hmm. starting there and trying to move from there deeper into the system. Yeah. When we shift over into EMDR being somatic therapy, it's saying how do we have that release in the body, that processing of the stored material through the body, and then allow that to filter through and manifest through more adaptive thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a difference in direction. And I've seen it done. I've, I've pra- probably practiced it unintentionally in both directions. Right. Done that with clients. Um, the difference is when it comes at a more cognitive approach or a top-down, um, it's when I see clients clear target and weeks later come back in and the distress returns. Yes. 
Yeah. It's like the metaphor or the image I use is there's a fire that we put out, but we leave the embers burning mm-hmm. and they're fine for a while. Yeah. Then they just lay low. Yeah. And then all of a sudden over weeks, they start to ignite mm-hmm. and gain, you know, mm-hmm. the, the flames get bigger again. Yeah. Or something comes along and blows on those embers and yes. now we've got a big fire again. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Versus with the somatic approach, we're going in and like pouring water on the embers and mm-hmm. then taking it, you know, yeah. really clearing it out completely. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I, in consultation, I spend a lot of time talking to people about how obsessed I am with getting to a zero um, mm-hmm. and how I hate leaving a one. I just... Yeah, those are the embers. Feel, yes, those are the embers. Yeah. And yes, there are absolutely times and places where leaving a one makes sense. But to be honest, you guys, I think we do it too often. Mm-hmm. And I think we do it because we don't know how to get from that one to right. a zero sometimes. It's still stored in the body somewhere. Yeah. And um, when when we you know have cleared out so much and they're saying, well, there's just this little bit of distress left in my chest or in my stomach or whatever. And you know we are trying to process that and we apply more bilateral and it's just not shifting and it's just not shifting. We can kind of get to this place where we feel like, well, maybe it's just not going to. Maybe it's yeah. just the way it's going to be. And really developing our skills as an EMDR clinician means knowing how to go after what is stored only in the body, uniquely in the body, even when the cognition is clear, they're, you know, fully validating the new positive cognition, they're all on board with their thinking, but their body just isn't quite ready to let it go yet. Mm -hmm. How do we work with that? How do we help the body take that leap from, you know, I'm still a little bit distressed to no, I'm completely at peace and this is gone and released out of my, my cells, like literally my cells. Um, and so one of the things that we want to talk about is kind of the practical piece of this of how do we work with that? Mm-hmm. How do we uh, get to those really, really clean zeros and make sure that every little ember has been stamped out before we move on to the next thing? Um, and so, you know, I don't know about you, Jim, but I kind of have a few of my favorite ways of working with that that seem to get the results. And so we can kind of just share what those are. I'll give kind of the four main categories we're talking about Mm -hmm. here, and then we can give examples in each. Um, but starting in preparation and resourcing and ways to get them connected with their body there, Mm -hmm. moving into the type of the second being the type of interweaves that we use can get to that and being really specific and in the interweaves being somatic, um, different movement, actual Mm. somatic movement in processing as a way to release it. And then finally, it comes to the work on ourselves, (laughs) monitoring what's happening within ourselves and knowing that that has an impact. And so I think if we go through those four Mm -hmm. and identify what are examples of what do each of those look like. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in preparation, one of the things that I pay attention to with people is how they're you know, initially showing up in terms of their own relationship with their body. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some presentations that are more challenging than others. If somebody comes in very, very disintegrated from their body, um, there's a dissociated presentation where they're just not feeling it. It just feels like kind of a numb lump mm-hmm. to them. Um, and so the the preparation of that is beginning to wake up sensation in their body, like literally working with them to try to feel anything. And ways that I do that are instigating moments in therapy that I know would normally elicit a response. And I like to work positive first. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, use humor, use levity, 
and then track the sensation that occurs in response to those and invite the client to uh, come into awareness of what their body is doing in those moments and just see, can they feel it? Can they Mm -hmm. track it? Um, Sometimes we'll do, you know, exercises where we're actually, you know, producing sensation physically in the body on purpose, like squeezing your hands really tight. That produces a lot of sensation Mm -hmm. and even um, kind of an emotional feeling goes with that of if you just like squeeze your hands as as tight as you can, your body's going to go, wait a second, is something, do I need need to fight? Like what's happening right now, right? It naturally evokes a response in our body because um, we have certain memory cells in our nervous system that are sensory dependent which means if if you guys remember like way back to psych 101 and state dependent recall Mm -hmm. this is part of that Mm -hmm. right so state dependent is the current state of our body and our nervous system so that can include things like the position that i'm sitting in or lying in but it also means uh, how high is my heart rate right now how am i breathing what's the temperature on my skin any sensory experience is part of that state dependent recall Um, So producing different experiences by doing different things with the body, such as tight fists, uh, close your eyes as tight as you can, hold your breath for as long as you can, all those things produce a lot of sensation in the body. Yeah. And, but they can be pretty benign as well, which means we can invite the client into a state of gentle body activation yeah. could be a rocking yes it could be a, what it, a, a, rubbing, yeah, your, rubbing leg. your leg mm-hmm. it could be you know feeling the sensation of like the velvet couch that you're sitting on whatever and then being in reflection together about how does that feel in your body mm-hmm. and just practicing that awareness and then and then always following up with and how does it feel to be aware mm-hmm. of what your body's feeling and that reflection usually produces a lot of rich content for people. But what we're doing there is preparing them to tolerate the affect that will be evoked in the EMDR process. Yeah. Because if we try to start EMDR and they have no tolerance for body sensation, their current window of tolerance is super skinny and we're going to be fighting that the whole way through and really, really struggling and feeling like we have to contain, contain, contain until there's no material left that they can mm-hmm. process. The reason is they're not in a place where they can tolerate affect. And so we need to go back into preparation and help expand that in that way and so you start with the positive you start with benign and then you slowly work up to more activating things yeah Mm -hmm. and you see so often clients either fully just escaping their body they're totally uh, dissociated from it it's not connected to them at all Mm -hmm. or objectifying their body they've turned their their bodies into a vessel that just gets work done right. or right. Um, is only used for the benefit of somebody else mm-hmm. or turning their bodies into some form of an object. object and yeah. you can see yeah. that in their posture in the way they show up in the room yes. in the way they talk about themselves yes. and then sto- their stories. You and can start to understand so that. about this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like acceptable now to say things like oh, I hate my body yes and like yeah. we we just collude with each other and then oh my gosh me too I hate my thighs right like th- like this is normal yeah. oh it's so <laughs> and it's it's, it's enculturated yes especially yes. in in women yes I think it's in both genders for sure mm-hmm. but maybe just because I am a woman I just hear it so often Constant. just yeah. harsh language mm-hmm. harsh words harsh mm-hmm. treatment well and there's almost this attitude of we're always to be a good person we're always supposed to be improving our body mm-hmm. as if it is this thing that needs um needs to be corralled because it's always up to no good it always wants to get fat it always wants to get unhealthy 
It always wants to be getting sick. It always mm-hmm. wants to be doing something wrong. Like we treat our body like a petulant child mm-hmm. rather than having a, well, this is a soapbox apparently. <laughs> I'm with you. I'll join you. <laughs> Um, but the point is that attitude is very present, uh, in our clients and it's kind of something to be aware of in ourselves as well, that as we invite clients into more awareness, um, of themselves and of their bodies in this way, that we're going to be contending with all of those cultural norms and attitudes. And we may even have some of them ourselves. We will. And that comes up, you know, I work with a lot of therapists that when I start talking about dropping down into your body and feeling the love feelings like they you know yeah I mean I'm a little out there and so I think some of it is is a natural reaction to you know the woo-woo of it all um but there's also just the general discomfort of well I'm not used to feeling my body in this way in any way yes or treating it like a trusted friend and ally that Mm -hmm. is always trying to take care of me Mm -hmm. um and so processing that with our clients and even processing it in ourselves about what are my attitudes about this are really relevant for this work and part of preparation. So Mm -hmm. all of that awareness and the preparation piece that Melissa was just talking about can then become part of the interweaves that we're using. Mm -hmm. Um, Start with the positive. Start with it in preparation, moving into awareness of even the distressing um, experiences have that groundwork laid before you move into target and pro- targeting any type of trauma. Yes. Yes. Because then when you say, can you drop into your body and experience that right. total dissociation yes. or like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. lay that groundwork and take your time, right. especially in someone who's highly traumatized, highly dissociative, take your time in that honoring their body right. and helping them to learn how to do that. And then when we start processing, interweaves are so powerful and beautiful in those moments. Yeah. One of my favorite body-based interweaves is what, I mean, I call it the body talk interweave. I think it has lots of different names because this is, you know, not unique to me by any means. Um, I don't remember where I learned it because I think it's kind of ubiquitous at this point. But basically when you're in the midst of reprocessing and if the client is looping around a particular body sensation or something, you know, feels kind of stuck in the body and they're having trouble clearing it, one of the interviews that you can offer is to invite them to imagine giving that physical sensation a microphone and allowing it to share whatever it wants to share. So the way that I usually phrase that to clients is, okay, I want you to focus on that sensation in your body. And if you can imagine handing that sensation a microphone right now, I want you to just listen to what it might want to offer, what it might want to share with us today. What does this sensation mean? What is it about? What does it want us to know? And then coaching them and letting them know to just wait patiently. Because if they feel compelled to give an answer quickly, they're going to move into their cognitive Mm -hmm. left brain. And that is not what we're looking for. So I'll usually say, we're just going to go real slow and be very patient because sometimes the body needs a minute to feel ready to answer. Now, there's a neurobiological explanation there, but we don't go into that (laughs) because we just want the client to know it's okay for them to take a minute, to just sit in silence and allow whatever is going to bubble up to bubble up. And sometimes an answer will come quickly. Sometimes an answer will come in the form of a different physical sensation. Often it comes in the form of a thought, um, uh, an emotion. It's often an emotion. Um, Sometimes another memory will come up. The point is it doesn't really matter. It's just that it instigated new material to be accessed. And we say, notice that and just keep going right there. Mm -hmm. If they say nothing, nothing came up, okay, and that does happen every once in a while, 
Um, one of the things that I do in that moment is say, okay, I wonder what it would feel like to just offer back to that sensation in your body that we understand that it doesn't feel ready to let go today and that that's okay. Would it that's feel so beautiful? Yeah, would it, would it feel okay to just offer that to yourself today and have them just notice that with the bilateral? Nine times out of 10, just offering that gentle, compassionate response to the lack of shift makes something shift. Yeah. Well, that yeah. alone is such a difference than mm-hmm. this demand of like, okay, my body must produce exactly what it's yes. supposed to do at that yeah, time. There's a right and way to do this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're goal oriented and getting to that zero as fast as we can, et cetera. Um, and we do want that. Like I said, I'm obsessed with the zeros. I want the zeros. But there are situations where the body is not going to release yet. And in the midst of reprocessing, we don't want to get hung up on forcing the body to let go of something right there in that moment. So we're going to find a way to offer it a few chances to release and shift. And if it doesn't, that's when we're going to pause and reevaluate with our clients of why, why might that not be shifting? Often, it's a feeder memory. That sensation is literally a memory held in the body that happened earlier that is connected to whatever we were processing. And so that sensation is being activated, but it's not going to clear until I have a conscious awareness of where that originally came from. And when we find the original source of that material, and we can do that through a float back and sometimes just talking about it will elicit that, or sometimes a client already knows, right? Mm-hmm. They're already conscious of where that feeling came from. But once, once the mind understands what that connection is, what can often happen is that the connection between that uh, old memory and that newer memory that we're currently processing gets severed, and now we can process them separately. That doesn't always happens, happen, which means we're going to go back and process that old feeder memory first and then return to the newer memory to get that full zero and get it to clear the way that we want to. But because the body is so sensitive to the integration of story and state, having just a story and a state moment where these two things make sense together will sometimes sever the connection enough that they can be complete with that one memory and contain the other until we can go back and do that on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other interweaves that are somatic focused some of the basic that are taught in the basic training are a shift of focus so going Mm -hmm. from thoughts or emotions into what do you notice in your body Um, as simple as that has a has a very somatic energy to it and so utilizing that I lean on that far more than I will lean on what thoughts are coming up for you with that? Yeah. Uh, what images do you notice are going into the body? Mm-hmm. And then also a body scan. Um, that's we have we do that in the initial assessment and in the closing assessment, but bring it in as an interweave if needed. Yeah. Having them pause and be still and literally start from the top of their head down to their toes mm-hmm. and scan over and just notice each part of their body and yes. see what's happening there. That doesn't just have to be with distress or disturbing experiences. Yes. It's just taking that time to say, I can go inward and notice, um, get reconnected with my body and notice what I'm experiencing in that. Yeah. Um, so those are a couple of interweaves that can be used mm-hmm. that the more we lean on those, the more somatic um, EMDR becomes compared to more cognitive. Yeah. Yeah. So another version of interweaving, but also as kind of its own thing as well, is the idea of bringing movement into Mm -hmm. a session. Um, 
movement can be utilized in all the different faces. Movement as uh, preparation is a big one. Movement as an interweave. Movement is um, a uh, like a future templating experience. All of that is relevant. So another way of saying movement would be action taking. So one of the uh, things that we do here at Beyond Healing, which is a version of a movement focused um, therapy and an action taking therapy, uh, is massage therapy, mm -hmm. which I know sounds weird because you're laying flat on a table, but <laughs> because it is so body focused and it is eliciting, um, responses in the body in a yeah. very direct way. Um, we use that specifically as a therapeutic tool to help clients get used to feeling certain sensations in their body. So when, when a client comes and does a, like an intensive retreat with us, and they're receiving their massage therapy along with their EMDR, one of the things that we end up reflecting on a lot is what does it feel like to receive that kind of nurturing, mm -hmm. caring, loving touch and have those sensations happen in your body? How, how does that feel to do yeah. that? Because that's a big deal for a lot of people. And some people it's like, oh my gosh, it's wonderful. I feel amazing. Other people, you know, the massage therapist starts touching them and they're immediately crying. Right. And all versions of reactions are normal and okay, but we want to process that with the client. And so even when you don't have the luxury of having a massage therapist on staff, you can send your clients to go get a massage. Mm -hmm. You can tell them, I think this would be really good for you. Um, another version of this is, uh, say, for a woman that has a has a, a sexual assault in her history, encourage them to go take a self-defense class I love that. Yeah. and feel what it feels like to have that sensation of strength in your body, empowerment in your body, to walk around the world going, I could kick somebody's ass if I needed to. That feels different. That feels really different. And install the experience yes. as a resource yes. with the bilateral. Yes in the session that happens after Absolutely. they do that. Yeah, and so those movement-oriented, action-oriented um, activities really aid releasing trauma from the body because it produces the sensation and the activation in their body that we're mm -hmm. looking for and really changes the patterning and gives them new options of patterning um, that they didn't have before. As an interweave, uh, similar to the body talk, sometimes what we're asking instead is, what does your body need to do right now? Yeah. Does it need to stand up? Does it need to walk? Does it need to run? Does it need to hit? Does it need to yell? What does it need to do? Uh, does it need to rip something to shreds? Like what is, what is happening? Where, where is that activation in your system that needs to get released? And how could we create a movement right here in this session that might help your body release that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had many of sessions where we are, you know, they're pushing up against a pillow yeah. or they're punching the couch cushion yes. or one of my favorite non-traditional moments was a helium balloon that was treated just like a punching bag oh, and yeah. went from being this like, oh, this is really ridiculous. I can't believe <laughs> I do this. And that is the I'm real response. The crap out of this balloon. <laughs> right. But then you see the, the let go happen. Yeah. Because the body starts getting know, activated. Yeah, yes. Boom, boom. And this poor balloon <laughs> deflated on my floor. But beautiful. Yes. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And then when we partner that in with the protocol and the structure of EMDR, we take mm -hmm. that piece of it and we say, what was How that like? That Notice that. Yeah. Go into your body. Notice what's happening. And then we do bilateral and we do all of these mm -hmm. and combine that is just such an intense release that gets to oh, the integration. So good. So good. Yeah. It's not just the physical, but we come back in and then they're then able to articulate. Yeah. 
this is what has happened. This is how I can express that Mm -hmm. um, through language. And we have this beautiful integration of the mind and the body. Yeah. Yeah. Another um, kind of version of this is uh, taken from the research that was done on uh, power stancing. If you guys have ever heard about what power stancing is, it's the the method of um, posturing your body in a specific way that releases uh, endorphins and chemicals uh, neurobiologically to help us feel the way we want to feel. So the most common one and the way that it got originally developed was about professional confidence. So, you know, before a public speaking event, when you're nervous, you go into the bathroom and you, you know, stand like a superhero and uh, stand with a strong posture with your chest kind of puffed up, hands on hips or arms crossed, you know, like you're a badass or whatever, and look yourself in the eye. And that evokes a certain sensation in the body. And when they did the research, hands down, you're, you biochemically change in reaction to standing and posturing in that way. So in EMDR, we can use that to our advantage. Mm -hmm. If we have a client that, uh, you know, say is struggling with feeling confident and feeling like they have a right to stand up for themselves, having them actually stand up and feel, what does it feel like to stand as if, and that's the magic phrase here, as if you are confident and have them take that stance and let them notice how does that feel and whatever tiny little speck of a sensation of confidence is there okay so notice that we apply the bilateral continuing to have them stand in that particular way and we gently grow that sensation that can happen in the midst of processing that can happen as a resource that could definitely happen in the middle of a future template Mm -hmm. how do you want to show up in this conversation well i want to feel confident if they're struggling to get there let's stand up and feel it together um feeling loving feeling playful with your children feeling uh, open-hearted whatever it is if we can evoke that with the body it communicates back to the body in a very chemical and practical way that this is a possibility yeah and yeah. then we enhance that with bilateral stimulation and the the results are really amazing mm-hmm. um one of my best and you guys have all heard me talk about this but i'm going to talk about it again because it was really freaking cool Um, was I did a version of this in birth preparation. Um, So I know this sounds super weird, but... (laughs) Melissa, it fits you perfectly. It does fit me perfectly. (laughs) So if you can imagine me alone in my bedroom, nine months pregnant, on my hands and knees, pretending to be in labor, pretending to be in pain, and doing all of the things that my birth coach had told me that I should do, having a full-on enactment of, okay, this is what it's going to feel like, body. You're going to, you know, be in these positions. You're going to be doing these things. You're going to be humming. You're going to be rocking. You're going to be all the different things. um, And applying bilateral stimulation the whole time. And what that is doing is setting in those neurological grooves. So by the time I actually got to birth, my body was like, oh, I know how to do this. I'm a (laughs) pro at birth giving. And it was like the smoothest birth experience on record, I'm pretty sure, at least in mine. And I've only had one. (laughs) So I'm right. (laughs) Um, But I think the more important thing is that I didn't feel nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I went in. Yes. Mm -hmm. It felt, I felt so safe because it's like my body and I had practiced together. Mm -hmm. We, we had been in that space together enough that when the real moment came, I could drop down into all of that practice that was enhanced with bilateral and say, oh, I know what to do. 
this feels like a memory, Mm -hmm. even though I had never done it before, because I had given my body a chance to actually experience it um, and lay down those memory networks. And so uh, using the body in that way to enhance our future templating is just gold. It's so, so helpful. Those memory networks were created without true threat um, or or intense yeah, fear being that's right. present. That's right. And so it got to be created in its most adaptive form mm-hmm. so that then as you go into the real experience, it has something to draw from, which does yes. not mean, you know, if if your pregnancy had or delivery had become threatening, your body still would have responded. Yeah, because it, and fear it and didn't go the way that we planned here. Right. This is different. Yeah, But it had some foundation to draw something mm-hmm. from to say, mm-hmm. okay, at least when it went well before, this is what I did and it yes. went well and I'm okay with it. Um, had something to pull from in that. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. all of this kind of takes us into our fourth category, which to me is really the most important of all. But looking at, as we do this work, what does it mean for us? Mm. What shows up for us? And so I'd I'd even just like to ask you guys as you're listening, what is happening in your body? As you listen to us talk about all this, yeah. Yes, if you scan through your system and say, what is this activating for me? Mm -hmm. They have used the word body countless times. (laughs) Body, body, body. Right, (laughs) and what does that do? And told me to connect with Mm -hmm. it and be present Mm -hmm. in it and honor it. And so noticing what's coming up for you is going to give you some indication of what kind of work do you have for yourself? And this idea of embodying mm-hmm. this um, this presentation in this uh, posture in a therapy room, because if we don't, if we show up disembodied, yes. if we show up dissociated or disconnected from ourselves as humans, whether or not they know they're experiencing it, they will experience yes, it, and so it will true. have an impact so on their felt sense of "Am I safe? Yeah. Can I trust this person, this place, this process, this therapy?" Mm-hmm. And so we really have to be looking at how do we connect with ourselves and what is our somatic experience as a human, but then in the room with the client, what is that stuff activating for us? What is it bringing up and is it appropriate or necessary to speak to it with them in the session? And Mm -hmm. at times, yes, it is. And other times, no, it's Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. But being willing to at least notice what's coming up and then give words to it if necessary. That's right. So I feel like maybe how I want to end this episode is actually the way I meant to begin it, which was by giving you guys a definition of embodiment. Oh, yeah. We were going there. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I got distracted and went on a long rabbit trail about somatic psychology. <laughs> That's what happened. Um But my favorite definition of embodiment, because once again, that's another buzzword that we're all kind of hearing about. Embodiment is knowledge that has entered into our body and become wisdom. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the felt difference between knowledge and wisdom, when I have knowledge, it's just in my cognition. I have the information. But wisdom is so much deeper. You know, when I when I just hold those two words and my body responds to them, when I say knowledge, it's a top of my head, very <laughs> prefrontal cortex activation. And when I say wisdom, my body immediately drops down deep into my belly, almost like down into my pelvis and yeah. hips, and it I feels feel very like deep roots. Yes, deep mm-hmm. roots. It's grounded, and there's a sense of uh, knowing even when I don't know why I know. It's so in us, that knowledge is so embedded in ourselves that sometimes we can barely explain why we know what we know, but we just know. 
it is intuition. Mm -hmm. It is instinct. It is body wisdom. It is so fundamental to our human experience. And as therapists, understanding how to make the leap from knowledge to wisdom is everything. When our clients know something, it's useful. But when they embody it, it changes them. And they don't have to effort anymore. With knowledge, we have to work to apply that information. With wisdom, it is an effortless, uh, yeah, bubbling up that um, we don't have to think about. We don't have to effort around. And so that always is the goal. So embodiment is about taking this knowledge and sitting with it and feeling it long enough and often enough that it sinks into us and takes root in us in a way that transforms that knowledge into wisdom that is now with us wherever we go, even when it's not top of mind. And that's how theory really transforms us. It transforms us when we sit and understand something and we're integrating that information for long enough it's just in us we don't have to be thinking if you guys think about the transition from you're a brand new baby emdr therapist with your nose in your book reading the script you know word for word every single time you do it and then maybe now you've been doing it for a few years and you lean back in your chair and the script's kind of there but <laughs> you know you're not you're not glued to it that is embodiment you are beginning to embody the basic protocol of emdr It's getting in you so you no longer cling to the source of knowledge because you trust that it is in you. And there's, you know, a huge spectrum of embodiment, and I don't think that spectrum ever really ends. Um, So with our clients, we're always looking for ways to get that information to drop down out of their prefrontal cortex and really get into the rest of their body. And we only do that through feeling right? We embody with the body. And so incorporating all of these methods and these ways of involving the body in what we're doing is the way that we do that. Um, So with that, I feel like that's a good stopping point unless you want to add anything. I mean, the only thought that was in my head there is an interweave that we bring in, like new new information interweave, knowing that that sets in the storage of knowledge until you connect them with their body. Yeah. And by the way, bilateral stimulation is a great aid to embodiment. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it activates the sensation with the body and it turns up the volume on that. And that is one of the reasons why EMDR is so powerful. And I believe it is a somatic therapy when we choose to utilize it that way, is that it helps that information get into their cells. It's sinking deeply and changing them in a really, um, yeah, systemic, generalized way. Um, And that's why it works as well as it does. So when we lean into that and can really promote that aspect of EMDR, our results just continue Mm -hmm. to get better and better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as a wrap up, one of the things that we wanted to do today was to say a huge, gigantic thank you to our Patreon members. You guys, (laughs) like, I'm just like the amount of support and generosity and just enthusiasm that we have gotten from our Patreon members and from all of our fans. We've just been really kind of overwhelmed lately with how amazing that has been and how our community has grown over the last few years and really what it has allowed us to do. Like I, you know, I get a little dramatic in general, but I don't feel like this is an overstatement to say that when you guys are like contributing to what we're doing on notice that, um, it feeds so many other things. Yeah. It allows us to you know, provide resources and uh, opportunities for therapists that we just couldn't do mm-hmm. otherwise. Um, and you know, our Patreon members lately, we uh, put out a request um, for support in getting 
you know, equipment so that we could start doing videos and start, you know, having uh, trainings recorded with really high quality equipment and start to get, you know, our trainings and our information out there to more people. And, you know, we set a goal of getting to 1500 a month and we blew right past that, Mm -hmm. you know, in no time at all. And we're even beyond that now. Um, And so mostly we just want to say a gigantic thank you to all of our Patreon members. Um, Thank you so much for, yeah, just being willing to support us in that way. And for those of you that have been thinking about doing that, um, get on there and have a look and figure out which tier is going to be the best for you. Every single tier has its own uh, benefits and things like that. Um, The VVIP members, you get to be on a call with us every month, which, by the way, is happening tomorrow. I need to remember to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I will be on that call. but that's a really fun thing where we actually get to like see you guys and yeah. talk to you via Zoom and have uh, relationships with you. So yeah, go to patreon.com slash beyond healing center and uh, have a look at those different tiers. And please join us if you feel like you can and want to, because we love to connect with our listeners in that way. Those of you dropping us notes, um, thank you so much, mm-hmm. Patreon members, but also just general listeners. Your words have been so kind and inspiring and given such beautiful guidance in um, what you're looking for. But yeah. literally, we're in tears every week. We, oh, yeah. we get a message. <laughs> we send it out to our group And we chat. read every single one. <laughs> do. Like, you guys, we're, we're still, we yeah. tear up and we just oh, feel so grateful to be doing what we're doing yes, and yeah. grateful for all of you having such open hearts with us, mm-hmm. listening in and just supporting what we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a huge thank you once again, and thanks for listening today. Yeah. We hope this was helpful. I certainly enjoyed talking about it. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.